Good morning. You know what season it's not? Christmas. Walmart has already got their Christmas stuff out in the gardening section, and I am not a fan. Let us have Halloween, let us have Thanksgiving, and then give us 22 days, and then you can put out all your Christmas stuff. If you're ready for Christmas, I'll pray for you. Um, no. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy. It's a fact. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy this morning, chapter 3. And um, just leading into this, when I was in college, uh, one thing about me is I really like change. I really love switching things up. And a problem that I had growing up, and I've kind of matured and got married so I can't change things so much, is I loved changing vehicles. It was an easy change. You could buy something, drive it for a while, and then sell it. And so while I was in college, I was looking for a new car. And I found this beautiful, it was like a, a 2000 Nissan Maxima leather interior, all decked out, and they were only asking $2,000 for it. And I was like, sweet, I can get that one. And they were like, you know what? All you have to do, we'll deliver it to you. All you have to do is send us $2,000 in a money order and you'll have this amazing car. And I see some of you judging already. I was in college, so I wasn't the smartest back then. But I thought this is perfect. So I start getting the money order and I send it and I send an email and I'm like, hey, the money's on its way and I get no response. And so then I send another email and I'm like, hey, where, where's my car? Come on. And I get no response. And suddenly this is seeming like a scam. All the lights are finally clicking. And so they finally responded though. And they were like, hey, actually, we don't live there anymore. Can you change the address? And it was like the money's on its way. I tried canceling. I Thankfully, God watched over me, and I got all the money back. I didn't lose anything through it all. But it really, from that moment on, messed with me. To now when I'm looking for vehicles, and I'm seeing these vehicles, and they're like, you know what, brand new, 2020, Toyota 4Runner, $5,000. And I'm like, that. There's a thing you can follow, and it's a statement. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And, and I share this with you because ever since then, I question everything. It's like, is there really validity in that? Is there really truth behind that? There's a ton of false information out there. And, and we live in a world where, you know, there's another saying, if it's on the internet, it must be true. And, and people are falling for this stuff where there's now this saying that says, live your truth. If it's true to you, it's true to you, but your truth doesn't have to be my truth. And it leads me to this question of how can I know what truth is? And we're told in God's word that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're told in God's word that God's word is truth. So the question that we're looking at today as we uh, are going through this series on asking for a friend is, how can I know the Bible is true? How can I trust it? Because there's a whole lot of false information out there. There's a whole lot of, of just information in general. And society is trying to say all these different things that start, are starting to really go against God's word. So how can we know that God's word is true? Because every week we gather 
to talk about God's word. Throughout your day, you are looking at God's word, I hope. Throughout your week, you are studying God's word. Our lives revolve around the word of God because it's through the word of God that we learn about God and his plan for us. And so how can we know that God's word is true? Because it's a common thing in today's society to drift away from God's word. There's a term called deconstructionism in which people are trying to, it's like breaking down God's word and they're like, well, this is a flaw in God's word and this doesn't mean that anymore. And did God really mean this when he said it? And, and they're really starting to cause people to question, can I trust it? Is it true? So how can I know to trust God's word? Because Paul over and over in his writings, he says these words, stand firm. I mean, he's, he's telling us straight up. He's saying, the world is going to tell you this, stand firm in God's word. We see that in our passage kind of this morning as we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12 and work our way through verse 17. And I'm going to ask if you'll just stand as we read God's word, which we take as true and living and active for us today. And then we'll open in a word of prayer. Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father God, we just come before you. And God, I thank you that you have given us your word and that you have preserved it throughout time so that we can have it here and we can read it and God, we need you to speak it to us now, though. So God, just reassure us of the faith that we have and light that spark inside of us to just hold firm to your truth and your word. So God, I just pray that this message be from you. And again, that we open our hearts to hear what you have to say. And it's all in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So have you ever played the game telephone growing up? where you, you get a line of people and you start out by telling them something like the Texas Longhorns are the best football team in the NCAA. And then as it's working its way through the line, eventually it comes to something that's not true at all, like OU is the best, total lie. And you just see this progression where you start out with one thing and the further from the truth that you get people telling it, the further from the truth you get. So the further from the starting point, the further from the truth. And that's a thing with the Bible. Is It's not the thing with the Bible, but people think it's the thing with the Bible. It was written centuries ago. I mean, it's a almost 2,000-year-old book in some of the books. We have the life of Moses was around 1400s BC. We're in 2000s AD, so that's like 3,000 years ago. We have the book of Job written long before that. 
I mean, we have in this book, the word of God, we have it spanning centuries. And we are now centuries removed from the original authors. So how can it still be true? Because according to the telephone game, the further you get from the original source, the more disruptive and the more away from the truth you're going to get. It's like last week, I couldn't think of the name of the law. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Sam corrected me on it. And it's that law that says, the more and more you go, the further and further from the truth you'll get. All things trend toward disorder. That it's not going to come somehow come back to unity. It's going to constantly trend toward disorder. And we see this in people. And that's what Paul is telling us as he's writing to Timothy. He says that in verse 13. He says that people are going to be, become deceivers and they themselves are going to be deceived. They're going to wander further and further from the truth. He's telling us that the, the more we get away from the time of Jesus, the more we are entering into this state of chaos and the more false prophets, false teachers, people who are going to have itching ears, so they're going to desire to hear what they want to hear. And so people are going to start speaking it. We're going to get further and further away from the truth. And opposition to Christianity is going to grow more and more. Paul opened up with that in verse 12. He said, anyone who wants to be a Christian will be persecuted. So he's saying that if you live for God and you live for his word, persecution and trial and hardships are going to come. And he says that as we get further and further down the line, People are going to start being deceived, and they're actually going to start deceiving. And so Paul says, stand firm. He says, stand firm on the word of God. He writes to Timothy, and he said this in verse 14. He said, but as for you, everybody else is going to go away from the truth. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, and you have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Paul is saying, they're going to go away from the truth, but as for you, you children of God, Stand firm in the things you were taught. Stand firm in the word of God. Because he goes on to say, and remember whom you learned it from, that the sacred writings of old, the Old Testament even, it's like, okay, what good is the Old Testament now? We live in New Testament era. Paul is saying, even they will lead you to salvation in Jesus Christ. And then he says all scripture, not just the Old Testament writings, but the word of God, all of it is breathed out by God. So how do you stand firm? You stand firm by holding to the teachings of God because that is where we get truth. If you want to know the truth of something, you filter it through the lens of God. And the lens of God is found in the word of God. Because as Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, he's praying to God and he says, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Well, what's the truth? 
He says, your word is truth. In John 6, 68, Peter is talking to Jesus because Jesus has just been, just been uh, abandoned by like 5,000 people. And so he turns to the disciples and he's like, okay, they just left. Are you guys gonna leave us too? And Peter responds by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God, they don't, they're, they're leaving. They're deceived. They're being deceived. I'm not gonna leave. I'm gonna hold firm to you. I'm gonna hold firm to your truth. You know, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It is 176 verses. It's longer than some books of the Bible. And you know what it's dedicated to? It's dedicated to the word of God. It's dedicated to being delighted in God's word, to being guided by God's word. 176 verses, 164 of them reference seeking after God's word. 164 of them are talking about God, your word, your precepts, your law, your commands. They are where I will go. It's broken down like this. 42 times it talks about delighting in the law of the Lord. Out of 176 times out of or verses, 164 of them talk about God's word. 42 of those, it repeats over in some form or another. I delight in your word. 27 times. He wants to be taught God's word or to learn from God's word. 19 times he says that he delight or desires God's word. I wrote delights, it's desires. 10 times he says, I trust and I meditate on your word. Nine times he loves and he walks in God's word. Seven times he desires, I'm sorry, I messed up somewhere. Six times he says he finds life. Five times he finds hope. Two times he will declare it and it never ends. And one time he said he finds comfort. He says he fixes his eyes on. He says he guards. He says he wants it revealed. He says he seeks. He says he observes. And he says he finds strength. You read Psalm 119 and over and over, you're gonna see, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, help me keep your commands. How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. He's talking about God. I don't want worthless things in front of me. I wanna find delight in your word. So the longest chapter in the Bible is dedicated to God's word. And Paul is telling us, stand firm in God's word and the things that it teaches. But he also says that because of this, trials are going to come. And we're seeing glimpses of that, where if you hold to the word of God, you are called names now. Oh, you're just a holier than thou. Oh, you're, I can't even think of the names that they say. Google it, you'll find them. It's in the news a lot. Where people are holding to God's word, you're outdated, you're judgy, you're just patriarchal, you're, you're holding to some outdated book. Over and over, the shots are starting to be fired. And Paul's saying, if you wanna hold firm to God's word, then everybody else is gonna look at you and they're going to start oppressing you and saying things about you. And Jesus actually says, blessed are you when people do that because of me. 
He says, they did it to your fathers who were before you, and they will do it to you, but rejoice and be glad. And he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. But we're told, hold firm to it, even in the light of persecution. And so the question that this leads me to is this. If I'm going to be persecuted for God's word, how can I know it's true? Because I don't want to be persecuted for a lie. You know, if somebody's starting to actually like threaten my life, I want to make sure that what I'm standing on is true. Why is it that we are basing our lives off a book written centuries ago that culture is trying to get rid of, and yet we're going to stand firm on despite how unpopular it might become? How are we going to potentially give our lives for this? How am I going to be willing to possibly die based on what this word says? How can I do all of that? How can I know it is true? Because again, so many people are saying this is true. That's true. State your truth. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how can we know? The list is exhaustive, honestly. And, and actually what I, we've started doing is if, if you hear something in these questions and you're like, I would like a little more explanation on that, you can go to our website and there's a tab that says resources and under that it'll drop down to say asking for a friend. And each one of these sermons is put on there with like resources, extra resources. And so like this week we'll throw up extra resources because we're not going to go through them all today. But there, you can find more information on it through that. But we're going to look at just a couple things on how you can know God's word is true. The first one is because Jesus claims it. And it's like, okay, like, how does that make it true? Well, because Jesus claims to be Lord. And C.S. Lewis, he came up with the trilemma in his book, Mere Christianity. And he says it this way. I'll just let him say what he said. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Him, he is either Lord, lunatic or liar. But if he's not Lord, then don't believe what he says. But if you call him to be Lord, then you can hold firm to the things that he says because he proved it. Another way that you can know that God's word is true is because of the consistency of the Old Testament and the prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament. You have 57 specific prophecies about Jesus alone all at a minimum of being written 400 years before Jesus entered the world. I mean, it's one thing if I were to make a claim that's going to happen in three days. 
You know, meteorologists, try, they try and do this all the time. It's going to rain today, and they're wrong 50% of the time. But yet the Old Testament points to Jesus. Even Paul said the sacred writings of old are good for salvation found in Jesus Christ. They point to Jesus. And so they perfectly point to Jesus. They've been fulfilled perfectly 100% of the time. And there's so many other countless references, 57 specific countless references to Jesus. So you can trust it based on its accuracy. You can trust it based on the trivial information, trivial information that we know because of it. For example, have you ever heard of Bethlehem? That's a town of like under a thousand people in another country, on another continent. I don't even know towns of under 2,000 people in America, let alone Kansas. And yet we know about Bethlehem. Not only do we know, the world knows about Bethlehem. Something pretty major happened in Bethlehem. And it was prophesied about in the book of Micah. 400 years before Jesus came, they talk about Bethlehem. And from you will come the Savior of the world. We know about a carpenter in Israel. Jesus, his, his influence didn't span beyond the borders of, of Israel barely. And yet the world knows about him. I mean, I know who Bob Vila is, but he's not known worldwide. Like Jesus is known around the world and he has changed lives because of that. Not only has he changed live, lives, he's changed our dating system. We're in the year 2022. 2,000 years ago, something major happened that changed how we track time. Because before that, it was BC. And now even the world, or like the, the unsaved world, secular world, is trying to remove Jesus from it. And so it's like BCE and ACE, before the common era, after the common era, let's get rid of before Christ, let's get rid of Jesus. But it's like, okay, you want to do that? What happened 2,000 years ago? Explain that to me. What happened 2,000 years ago that was so monumental that we decided, you know what, that's the date we're going to start our calendar over at. They, I don't know what it is aside from Jesus. These trivial, what seem like trivial bits of information hold to firm, firmly tr prove that the Bible is true. And even, even on that, it's like, yeah, well, it was written 2,000 years ago. You know, we have the whole telephone game that the further you get away from the source, the more inaccurate it becomes. Well, recently they found what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And these are dated back to being written from 300 BC to 100 AD. And they prove the accuracy of the Bible. They prove that what we read today is accurate to what was actually written by the original source. The further we get away, the more we see this is true. It is accurate. On top of that, we just see the accuracy of the Bible. Over 2,000 years, it spans. It has over 35 authors, but it has one theme, one subject. It has it, it, it is consistent that those 35 authors didn't somehow make a mistake in there. 
I mean, you know, if, if we all saw something, we would have totally different accounts. And so that's how people are like, yeah, well, like in the Gospels, like John talks about only one woman being at the tomb, where Matthew talks about five women. And it's like, okay, if we all saw the same thing and we all were here, I might be like, you know what, I was there and I saw it. Where somebody else might be like, you know what, Andy and Kurt noticed it. And somebody else might be like, there were like a hundred people there and they all saw it. They're still all true. It's just different perspectives. But beyond that, all 35 authors are consistent. The Bible does not contradict itself. That's why we're able to say scripture interprets scripture because it doesn't contradict it supports the more you read it the more you see that it supports itself those are just a couple of the things and then you step out into the secular world and you see that the secular writings of that time uh, support the bible that they say yeah actually what the bible says is still true that really happened during the time of samson they really gouged out the eyes of their prisoners at that time. The Bible doesn't just say that. Secular writings of that time say that. And beyond that, not just extra biblical writings, the way we can know it's true and the way we can know that the context of it is true is because of what Paul tells us in Romans 1.20. He says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. It's like, okay, even if you want to say that this isn't true, God has told people what truth is. He's put it in their hearts. He's revealed it in creation. He says, nobody's gonna be able to stand before me and be like, man, God, I just didn't know. He's like, no, I revealed it to you. You rejected it. But the truth of all of this is, what it really comes down to is I could give you every single detail and you could still be like, yeah, but what about? And so that's why ultimately it comes down to faith. We have a faith where Jesus says that those who seek God, he will reveal. And he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. All the way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, God said, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He didn't say strength. I get caught up. But he's saying, if you seek me, you will find me. It's based on faith. We're told all scripture is God breathed and all scripture points to Jesus. Paul already told us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Jesus tells us in John 5, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. Jesus says in Luke 24, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's saying all of the Old Testament points to me. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, for you are witnesses of these things. He's saying it all points to Jesus. And then he's, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's not some old, outdated book. He says it is living and active. And so it is for that reason that I will hold to it today. That when people are like, hold up, Society is saying something else. I'm going to say, no, God's word says this, and I hold firm to it, and it is living and active. It does not change. Jesus says in Hebrews, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not change. And so therefore, I can stand firm on it. I can know that it is true. But again, it all comes down to faith. That you could say these things to people and they could harden their hearts against it and be like, nah, I'm still not going to believe it. Because we're also told in 1 Corinthians that the message of the cross is folly, folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we hold firm to it in faith. Jesus, he even said whenever... Uh, the rich man and Lazarus were both, you know, down in Hades. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And the, the rich man, he is in torment and he is saying, send one of, send Lazarus to my brothers so that they don't come to where I'm coming. You know what Abraham's response to them is? He said, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, if they did not believe what God said in his word, they wouldn't be convinced if someone should rise from the dead, that we are called to receive it by faith. That when the world is going crazy around us, which it is, we hold firm to the truth. Walking by faith. Paul tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. He says in the Hebrews, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen so that we hold firm. Even though we don't see it, we know it. And we hold to that truth. The basis of our life, our faith, our faith that there is a perfect God who gave his son as the sacrifice for us so that there is now, as Paul says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God because of what Jesus did. And so therefore, because of that, I'm going to hold firm to his word. And that's what Paul encourages us. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you who believe in Jesus, continue in what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I want to end on one last thing here, though. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we've, we've just talked about, and I, I hope you're seeing, hey, God's word can be trusted. God's word is true. And Jesus tells us God's word is what we live by, not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I, I want to end with this question. Are you holding to that truth? Are you seeing the need to be in God's word? If it became illegal today to read your Bible, would your lives change at all? I mean, you know, we like to throw uproars over the Bible being removed from things, but have we already removed the Bible from our daily life? Have we already said, you know what, God, this morning, I don't have time to read your word. I'm going to be mad if I'm getting told I can't, but I'm really not going to. It's the conviction of the matter. It's like, no, are we holding firm to God's word and are we in it? So that if I think somebody smarter than me once said, if it was illegal to read your Bible, would you be found guilty? Would you be guilty of reading God's word if it became illegal today? Or would you just be like, life as normal. I'm going to say I believe it. I'm going to say it's important. But when it comes down to my actions, it's not. Where God is saying, hey, it is the word of God. It is living and active. It is how God, yes, he communicates to us through other means also, but primarily he has a message for us through his word. So may we be able to be like Peter. As everybody else is leaving, are we able to look at Jesus and say, God, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I've tasted and I've seen that you are good and I want nothing else. I'm not gonna live on bread. I'm gonna live on every word that comes out of your mouth. It starts today to have that desire for God, to see his word and his truth. Because if you wanna be sanctified, Jesus's prayer was this, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Father God, again, I thank you that as we look through the course of time, we see that you have preserved your word and that as so many times the world is trying to disprove your word, it actually comes out to prove it. Science has done that. Society has done that. Culture's done that. God, we see time and time again that your word is truth. But God, I pray that it not just be a knowledge that we receive, but God, the food that we desire, that we see that we need your word every single day, that as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, God, guide us and teach us and help us find our delight in it. Help us meditate on it day and night because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But God, we need you to stir that fire inside of us. And so may we just entrust ourselves over to you and ask that you stir that fire inside of our souls. We need you, Jesus. 
And it's in the name that we pray, amen.